0: Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one week fantasy football, with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. And welcome to episode five of Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. At this point, I would typically introduce Mark Stern, who is in Washington, D.C., and you're going to hear him in this episode. But later, uh, we're going to talk to David Aldridge about Gilbert Arenas and the revelations that came out about the infamous gun incident in the Wizards locker room and how close it was to being a real tragedy. And we'll talk to the great uh, TNT reporter about that. He's also a Washington native like myself. And you're going to hear Mark's thoughts on the crazy stories of the week that we have at the end of this particular episode. But you're not going to hear him at the beginning today, and I'll explain why. So we tape this thing on Mondays, um, and then they are edited and aired on Tuesdays. And there is a risk that is associated with doing something like that. As you might imagine, things change. So if we pick a subject... That actually involves breaking news, which we did this particular week that stood out to us. Um, We ran into a problem. We decided to talk about Steve Sarkeesian, who over the weekend, it was reported that he showed up to a practice after the USC second loss of the year to Washington on Thursday night, that he showed up to practice on Sunday, inebriated, whether he was under the influence of drugs, we're not sure, the belief was it was alcohol, and... At that point in time, he had been basically placed on a leave of absence and he had entered some form of rehab facility and he just was no longer going to be the USC coach for a period of time. But it did not occur to us on Monday that for any stretch of our imagination that he would be fired less than 24 hours later, based mainly on the fact that we were not sure when we were talking about this and all the legal experts out there probably are wondering this as well. Could they legally just get out from under his contract and not have him coach the team again? Um, based on the fact that he could claim he has a disease and with the American with Disabilities Act, and I'm not really you know, up on exactly on contract law, but it just didn't occur to us that he would actually be fired 24 hours later. So we went on and on about the if, how, and what, and how this is going to be presented in the media and how they're going to talk about all the wrong things as they try to figure out what to do with Steve Sarkeesian. And then all of a sudden he's not the football coach anymore. So we had this whole thing on tape. And we decided um, just to bag it because it was going to sound ridiculous if you had listened to this at any point in time later in the week, because you would be like, you guys are idiots. So we didn't want to do that. Um, So you're going to hear me talk about Steve Sarkeesian for for just a moment. Um, It's not just the practice. Um, This started in the summer. Over the summer. Um, USC has this thing called the salute to Troy event, and it's really for boosters and it's really for fans. And it's just a kickoff of the season, big night to get everybody like a big giant pep rally for the people who have money behind the program. And Steve Sarkeesian showed up to this thing inebriated and, uh, slurred his words and gave this really bizarre speech and said some, you know, Thoughtless things about the opposition, which under normal circumstances probably um, wouldn't have been a big deal. But the fact that he was obviously wasted um, made it a big deal. And afterwards, he came out to the media and he said, listen, I don't have a drinking problem. Um, I took some drugs, some prescription drugs, uh, had a couple of drinks. They didn't mix well. and The result was what you saw. And, you know, I'm sorry. And, and Pat Hayden, who's the AD, basically came out and said, we're going to keep an eye on him. We're going to help him. We're going to work with him. But, you know, don't worry about it. He's OK. Right. So here we are a couple months later, and it it comes out that not only did he show up to practice drunk, but he may reportedly have coached a game against Arizona State drunk. We cannot believe this, Mark and I. I I can't believe this. I don't think the sports world can believe this, Um, and I want to discuss what the ramifications are going to be of that now in the media. You know, this topic for us was going to be uncomfortable to start with, Uh, having worked at ESPN for seven years and on SportsCenter and having to deal with topics that I am not overly familiar with, but am believed to have some kind of feeling of expertise behind it. See, I watch games. You know, we all watch games. We are into sports. I I am somewhat into health and medical matters because of the amount of times that I hear about particular injuries. I have a pretty good gauge of how long someone's going to be out. I don't need the doctor to actually tell me anymore. With contracts, I have a pretty good gauge of what they mean for a salary cap and how those things work and how these contracts work and cannot work under the construct of how the leagues appropriate the money that the teams can use. So there are a lot of issues that are not my basis of expertise, which is I'm just a giant sports fan that I can lean on to sound confident in making opinion. Alcoholism is not one of them, if that is what Sarkeesian has, or drug addiction is not one of them because I didn't have that. So here's the uncomfortable topics that we end up discussing in a situation like this. And it it typically has little to do with Sarkeesian. It has everything to do with finding someone to blame for his condition. So take Hayden, who hired a person here with substance abuse problems, clearly, okay? And this guy is coaching a multi-million dollar program. And people are now pointing fingers at him saying, you should have known, which is an absolutely obtuse and absurd notion to make. Like Pat Hayden was going to actually go out and hire an alcoholic, a functioning alcoholic, to be the head coach at USC, regardless of how he felt about him. You have to recall that Sarkeesian used to work under Pete Carroll's staff during their heyday years there. So how would he have known that? You know, are head coaches actually like tailed by private detectives when they're being vetted out because Hayden did come out and basically say that you know, we had a search group and he starts pointing fingers at them and they vet out candidates as if a search group is going to explain to him, hey, we followed him one night and at 713 p.m. There's Steve Sarkeesian buying a bottle of wild Irish rose and he's howling while he's walking out of the store. Please. I mean, did he show up wasted to the interview? I doubt it because if he did, he probably wouldn't have gotten the job. So. This first finger pointing thing that's going to occur in the media is ridiculous because it's as if you need to assess blame for someone's personal failings or personal diseases, whatever your belief system is in terms of, of prescription drug use and alcoholism. Right? Can he be fired? That was another issue that is going to come up here, which I've already touched on because I don't really know the answer to something like that. You would have to see his contract to know his contract and really speak to a contract lawyer to understand the legality of firing this guy a day after he was suspended for having substance abuse problems that I would think he could label as a disease quote unquote. So I don't know. Can the media actually make an assumption about it? I don't know. And here's the other thing I don't want to hear that. This is endemic of being a coach at this level. You're going to hear this question throughout this week. Well, it causes so much stress because you have to win. And this is such a difficult place to be. And it's all about winning and getting the kids and doing everything you possibly can within the rules to try to win. And it's a high stress situation. You know what? Like, I know a lot of people with drinking problems, a lot of them. Okay. And I I think my threshold for saying this particular person has a drinking problem is probably higher than whatever the state standard is, or maybe even what your standard is, because I used to binge drink a lot when I was younger and I never considered myself having a drinking problem because I never showed up to class or work or on a date drunk, you know, so I was able to control it, but I got blitzed all the time when I was younger. So my threshold for saying someone has a drinking problem, when I say someone has a drinking problem, I'm talking about someone who's sleeping under his desk at work that type of drinking problem or shows up to a meeting and it's clear that he didn't sleep the night before or had Jack Daniels in his fruit loops that morning. That's a drinking problem to me. Those people that I know, they rarely ascend to a position of this type of power. In my experience with them, I have not run across anybody with that kind of drinking problem that it didn't get outed before it got to this position. So this is either a semi new thing to him or This is something that has been going on in his life that he's been able to hide extremely well for a period of time. So anyone who's going to sit there and say that this is endemic of it, well, I don't think that that's necessarily true. There are too many successful people in these positions and too many successful people in a number of positions across the spectrum of the workplaces in this country that don't have drinking problems. This guy definitely does. There is one thing that I think is worth pointing out that I hope gets brought up by the media this week, and that is to look back at his exit from Washington. Steve Sarkeesian, as I mentioned, was an assistant coach under Pete Carroll under the the time when they were winning national championships with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and Carson Palmer and all of those great uh, players that they had at USC and won all those games in that period of time. He was an assistant there. He got a job off of that staff by going to Washington, a school that is also in the Pac-12, so a rival of USC so he goes there he becomes a head coach and he has some moderate success there when he took over Washington was down he got them back to being competitive and ranked and in bowl games and it was going in the right direction and then all of a sudden uh, Lane Kiffin doesn't work out for USC and they decide they want to get Steve Sarkeesian so they go to Washington to get him back you got to trust me on this when I tell you um, if a school wants to retain a guy or a team wants to retain a guy. They will go to extraordinary lengths to ensure that that guy doesn't go anywhere, especially if it's working. And the exit from Washington back to USC for Sikisian was way too easy. And if you go back and read the stories about it and how, well, he just wanted to go there. Clearly, he just wanted to go there. That felt like home to him. But Washington was way too inclined to go, you know what? Go ahead. So that suggests to me. That they already had a lot of doubts about whatever his lifestyle was. That they had problems with the fact that he was probably drinking, you know. And the other thing, and the last thing I want to bring up about Sarkeesian is this idea, and you're going to hear this too: binge drinking is the culture of college, and and you know, and so you end up, you know, falling into that kind of culture because that's the atmosphere around you. Yeah, I, I, it is. At all these campuses. Sure. I mean, I went to a smaller private school and we partied just like I'm sure the people at USC and UCLA party and Florida State party like everybody does. We're 18 to 22 year old kids who are away from their parents access to to these types of things. Of course, like, yeah, no kidding. This stuff happens. But the dean of communications at my school didn't streak the campus or come to our house and do keg stands with us. Okay, so and he's not the only coach here. Who has imbibed Larry Eustachy had a wildly successful run in what is now the Big 12 um, at Iowa State, and it came out that he was going on away games to fraternity parties and drinking at their houses at away games, and it, like clearly this was going to get out, and so he had a similar type of issue that Sarkeesian had, he just could not control himself in front of alcohol. I'm just saying the adults in general on the campus aren't the people that you overly have to be concerned with because they understand what they're getting themselves into. Like, that's like saying any workplace, like if it has some particular culture is going to make you act a certain way. Well, yeah, there's a lot of drinking on campuses, but what is this professional guy who's supposed to be taking care of your kids doing at the parties? He shouldn't be there. I mean, so here's the reality, a, a recovering alcoholic. And I mean, like a, a brand new recovering alcoholic cannot be the head coach at USC right at a rehab. And he's not even right out. He's right in. So he was never going to coach this team again. You know, the problem with that is that in 24 hours, it went away from him to focusing on everything but his well-being, which unfortunately is the truth of what we're going to be following now from here forward. How he does in rehab, how his life gets turned around, what he does next is such going to be a footnote to everything that goes on because USC football is so much bigger than its head coach having substance issues, which is amazing that in 24 hours we went from Is this guy going to recover? Can he coach this team again? Let's talk about his well-being. Pete Carroll had commented on it from Seahawks practice to... What are they going to do? Whose fault is this? Is this a problem with a lot of coaches? Can they not stop drinking? Is been drinking on campus? Does that need to be addressed? Because here are the adults that can't deal with it right now. Can he be fired? Should he be fired? Who's going to take this job now? This The fourth different head coach will be in the Notre Dame game. The big rivalry game for USC It's going to be the fourth different coach in four years for USC. What a bizarre run of instability at one of the premier college programs. Everything that is going to be discussed now will have nothing to do with the man himself and how he's dealing with it. It's amazing. The news cycle in the media is remarkable. Watch how fast it turns. And the news media and the cycle... Uh, hit close to home for me when I worked in Washington from one of my favorite players who ended up becoming the epitome of promise unfulfilled in my life. Gilbert Arenas. The name should invoke memories of an incident with guns in the locker room that recently got brought to light in a very different fashion. We're going to talk to David Aldridge from Turner next on Talking Heads. How about the games in the NFL over the weekend? Crazy finishes there. Not one between the Patriots and the Cowboys. Boy, they look mad. 4-0 now, trying to go 16-0 and again. And how about the Packers' defense? That's a storyline in the NFL this year. You know, if you've always watched the NFL on TV, make this the year you finally go see a game and do it with the SeatGeek app. Why, you ask? Because they're giving our listeners 20 bucks when they use the code TALKING. A $20 check with your name on it. No catch. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android takes less than a minute to download, then you search for your event, find the deal you want, enter our code TALKING, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. Even if you pick a seat that's less than $20, they still send you the full check, so that means they would be paying you for their service. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online, shows you the best deals automatically when you shop on SeatGeeks, You're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. No need to go anywhere else. They also have a cool feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a value score and plots the best deals on a color coded map of the venue. And finally, the mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find your ticket you want to buy, you can make the purchase with two click taps of your phone. So to redeem your promo code and get your twenty dollar check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter the promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you 20 bucks once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the NFL college football or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING to save $20. Welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in Connecticut in Washington is Mark Stern and sitting next to him, the familiar and longtime voice and face of the NBA for Turner
1: Broadcasting's coverage of the league. David Aldridge. Hey, David, how are you? I am good, Bram. Thanks for having me. Are you a D.C. native, David? I am a D.C. native. And when I say D.C., I don't mean I grew up in, you know, Arlington. (laughs) I grew up in (laughs) the city, northeast Washington.
0: I call myself a D.C. native. I'm from Silver Spring. But it counts the same thing for me. I ask you this because we're going to get into... (laughs) What was for me the most heartbreaking story of any particular star that's come through the town for me in my lifetime, Gilbert Arenas. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts were on Gilbert when he first came to Washington, D.C. and became the clutch star player that he was for the very short period of time.
1: Well, it's kind of like the old movie, Brigadoon, where the you know, the village comes up every 100 years and then it goes back into the mist and nobody <laughs> talks about it again. <laughs> sort of like that. Um, you know, it was different. When Weber and, and Howard came here, they came off of the Fab Five. They had been to two national championship games. They were well-known. They, su- they were young superstar players that everybody knew about. And so the sense of anticipation and hope and excitement was off the charts. When Gilbert came to Washington, it was a little different, although people who followed the league had seen him play for two years at Golden State and thought he had the chance to be a very good player. Nobody had any idea how good a player he could be and how dominant a player he could be. And so when he came to Washington and had the success he, he did early, there really, in my history going back you know, much longer than you or Mark, can care to remember, of following the Bullets and the Wizards, I don't remember anybody having the electricity uh, that Gilbert Arenas brought to what was then MCI Center uh, on almost a nightly basis because of the things he was able to do. I remember one time when they played, I want to say it was probably the Rockets, and Jeff Van Gundy, and I guess Gilbert had been here for a couple of years now. And Jeff Van Gundy, who was as good a defensive coach as there's been in the league in a long time, just said simply matter of fact, we can't guard him. There's nothing we can do to guard him. All we can do is hope he misses because there's no there's no system, there's no player, there's no nothing that we can do to stop this guy. And I remember thinking, wow the Wizards actually have a guy on their team who's like that, right. who's unguardable. You know, and he was right because there really was nothing anybody could do with Gilbert Arenas when he was healthy and right and, and playing with the confidence he was playing with uh early on. And the shots that he would make, the the games that he would have, I think it was oh five, oh six, maybe where he had like five or six game winning shots. And it was just it was remarkable and the and the excitement that he brought to, to Washington was incredible, and, you know, he was kind of a quirky, strange guy, and that kind of made it a great story, too. So, uh, the long answer to your very good question, it was just, there was very, very much uh, a sense of incredible possibility and potential with the Wizards with Gilbert Arenas here
0: uh, for some background uh, having grown up there the Wizards the Bullets were great but I was a child I was five years old when they won a championship and they were they were largely still very competitive into the early 1980s with a couple of Hall of Famers at Elvin Hayes and West Sunset but I have you know fleeting memory of all of that mm-hmm. the bulk of my childhood with that franchise were they were terrible non-competitive, made horrific deals that altered the course of their franchise through the years. You'd mentioned Chris Weber. They traded him for an old Mitch Richmond when some things went awry with him. They Mm. gave the big money to Jawan Howard, who was the wrong person of the three people that they had to give that money to. They traded an 18-year-old Rasheed Wallace (laughs) for Rod Strickland. Michael Jordan was so embarrassed by what was happening when he showed up at the franchise, he had to play for them. And he still didn't make them competitive enough. He traded away Rip Hamilton, who won championships in Detroit, for Jerry Stackhouse. So it was over and over and over through the years this franchise and this city which loves basketball had a woefully inept franchise and arenas comes in and there was something about him it was his personality not just his game that just became this comet of electricity in the city and he was going to take them to a place they hadn't been in an entire generation and then of course everyone knows where this is going because his career is largely defined not for the injuries that really derailed him and sent him, you know, down the wrong path, but because of an incident that occurred in the locker room where something happened on the team plane with a teammate Javaris Crittenden. It was never entirely clear what it was. And then they showed up, it spilled over into the locker room the next day. Mm-hmm. And Arenas had brought multiple weapons into the locker room and brandished them to Crittenden. And as the story went at the time was, he said, pick one. And they were going to have some kind of I would say, faux shootout, Mm -hmm. as we have learned over the last couple of weeks in Revelations in a book by a former teammate, Karan Butler. This was close to being way more heinous than it ultimately ended up being. But I want to go back to that moment when you heard about what happened and ultimately he was suspended for this, this incident in the locker room. What were you hearing around the league about Gilbert Arenas?
1: Well, look, I think, again, everybody understood that Gilbert was different. You know, his story was different. He grew up with his father, not his mother. They they lived an almost itinerant kind of lifestyle for a, for a good portion of time as his father was an actor and trying to find work. And it was a different story. Um, so there was always a sense with Gilbert that he was a little different, you know, not quite... The same as other guys, and Gilbert was a very kind of glib and funny guy who who told these kind of outlandish stories, most of which you determined upon any type of investigation were not quite true. <laughs> so you knew that was it, but it was okay; it was entertaining. But this was not. This was, um, you know, something that could have ended in a tragedy um, for this franchise and for the for the players involved. And you you would talk to people like. Uh, Karam Butler and like Antoine Jameson, who were also members of that team and who had also, you know, contributed mightily to that team, kind of turning things around and having the potential to be very good. And Antoine Jameson is a stand-up of guys I've ever dealt with in the NBA and and a guy that everybody respected on every team he was on for his work ethic, his professionalism, all those things. And it was almost like he couldn't look you in the eye because he was just so mortified by what happened and couldn't believe that this actually could happen in his locker room. And so um, there was a sense of disbelief, like you you can't be serious. They could not possibly have brought guns into an NBA locker room. They couldn't have done that, could they? And it, of course, it turned out that they did. And so it was it was a stunning uh, revelation, even for Gilbert, even for the guy that kind of was outsized and telling, you know, being kind of not all there in some ways nobody really believed that he was capable of that and and yet he was so it was it was it was clearly devastating it was devastating from the minute it became uh clear that this was true there was some truth to what was going on and and the league acted swiftly and correctly and and the and the wizards i think after you know some not great moves in terms of how they handled it, uh, understood how important it was, and they took a blowtorch to the roster, which they should
0: have. And then ultimately, um, what's happened since is we have learned that Javaris Crittenden is not um, a savory character. He is in prison currently, serving a long jail term for manslaughter that occurred Mm -hmm. after his career. And in Butler's book, which kind of re-brought all of this back up again, Butler describes the scene in the locker room and the part of this that I don't think was ever entirely clear was that Critton brought, Crittenden brought his own weapon mm-hmm. in that day and had it loaded. Yes, it was loaded. And apparently had cocked the gun. Yeah. And so this was nearly extraordinarily tragic. Yeah. I'm curious because Mark and I were talking about this when we were thinking about it and if he pulled that trigger, where do you think the NBA would be right now had he shot a star player in his own locker room.
1: It's one of those things that you don't like to think about because, um, you don't, you know, there's certain, there's certain stories that you know. Well, anything is possible. You're in journalism. You know that nothing that anybody does should surprise you at any time because human beings are capable of any, any number of behaviors, um, some of which are inspiring and some of which are terrifying. So nothing that happens in pro sports certainly should surprise you. Um, but to, to try and answer your question, if, if, if there had been a shooting involving Gilbert Arenas, um, no matter what his condition was after being shot, um, the, there may not be an NBA as we know it right now.
0: That's what I think.
1: Um, because the NBA has, um, you know, since that incident, I think had kind of uh, and un, not unprecedented because certainly in the 80s they had a run of, of great fortune and, and great play. But they certainly have had an extended run of very, very good basketball on the floor, a style of play that people like very much, superstar players who are very kind of approachable and, and, and people feel comfortable, like Steph Curry, rooting for, um, very few anti heroes. antiheroes, um, yeah. Uh, so they have been very fortunate, you know, and it requires some fortune for this to work. Uh, yep.
0: I mean, LeBron, listen, LeBron James would still be in the league and, and put aside right. that he change teams. And That's people right. If you're mad about him, I think he's largely an extremely likable person mm-hmm. and a likable superstar for them to have mm-hmm. in their league. But uh, I think the Wizards might have moved because it would have been hard. For anyone to explain to their children moving forward what had happened that day Mm -hmm. and to actually support the team. And I'm not sure that the league would have ultimately recovered from the shooting of a superstar. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they could have recovered from something like that.
1: Well, it's it's hard to say, but certainly that would have been as, you know, certainly worse than the... The troubles that the league had after Jordan retired the last time in the early 90s when they really had difficulty uh, drawing fans and there was a perception about the league among among some fans and among um, some advertisers uh, that, you know, things had kind of gone off the rails. Um, because it would have been unprecedented. Certainly, it would have been uh, difficult to to come back from. I don't know if they would have moved. I mean, the Pacers were involved in the brawl, in Auburn Hills had any number of bad things happen to their players off the floor, some of which involved guns as well. Um, and they recovered. I mean, I think people, fans, tend to recover, tend to forgive anyone wearing the home white and they, I think, would have forgiven the Wizards at some level, even if that had happened, because certainly none of the players would have been on the team, so it would have been a different set. But, as a league, Ram, there's no question it would have been a devastating blow, perhaps a catastrophic blow. There may not have been Forget the collective bargaining agreement, there certainly would probably not have been a television deal the likes of which the NBA has, has certainly gotten uh, this go round, which, which sets them up for some amazing years of growth and potential league-wide. It probably would not have happened.
0: You know, I, I, I have never been able to completely separate as a fan of my hometown teams. Um, I don't know where you stand with that, but mm-hmm. I, I've never been completely able to do it. I, I think if I cover their games, I'm able to separate myself to some degree, but I do prefer if they win. Mm-hmm. I, I still have that kind of overwhelming feeling of I want them to win because I root for them. Right. Gilbert Arenas stands singularly for me in my lifetime as a Washington sports fan, as the most heartbreaking athlete who's, I don't know, betrayed me is the right way to put it, but it has left me feeling a void about what if. And RG3 is getting close, Mm -hmm. but Gilbert Arenas for me stands as that person. Is there someone in your lifetime? Is it him? Is it someone else that you go, man, if just things were a little bit different, we could have had a different outcome with that guy.
1: Ah, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the football team. Nobody really jumps out to mind because nobody really distinguished themselves. I mean, you saw flashes from a guy like Michael Westbrook over, over the years, but you never saw kind of an extended season long or two or three seasons where he just was dominant and you went, wow, that guy is something special. Again, I think the 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 Weber Howard incarnation of the Wizards, um, you certainly thought, wow, this is a team that 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 should be going somewhere quickly. And after they played the Bulls re- relatively evenly in the '96 playoffs, you thought, wow, even though they lost that series, they got a they got an incredible future. And it never really panned out. And so there was a sense that that didn't happen, um, and and it should have happened. Um, but you know, Arenas. it's hard to it's hard to find think of anybody else i mean when i covered the team john williams was a guy and nobody remembers john williams now hot hot plate hot plate before he was hot Hot plate plate. i am telling you this and i and i continue to believe it he was one of the uh, 15 or 20 most talented players i've ever seen um because he could play every position i'm talking about every position one two three four five on a basketball court and play it well because i saw him do it um and he had that kind of potential and, and capability when he got hurt, it was a different time. They treated ACL tears differently then. And they did the worst thing you can do to a guy who had a weight problem. They put him in a cast for six weeks. Oh. <laughs> and that was how you did it back then. And that wasn't a good idea for John Williams. And he was never the same player. Um, but he was a guy that I thought if he had stayed healthy, they had a chance to build a team maybe around him. And they could have done some interesting things. Um, there's nobody on the Nationals that I think of in that way because I think Bryce Harper's kind of turned the corner a little bit. Um, and certainly with the hockey team, I don't have any great frame of reference where I would say that guy yeah. should have been somebody special. So certainly Gilbert Arenas, I think, is at the top of the list in terms of Washington sports personalities. I would say the only other person that comes to mind that breaks your heart is Lenny Bias.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, yeah.
1: that was a heartbreaking situation. That broke my heart. And it broke yeah. the hearts of anybody who lived here during that time and had any any sense of knowledge about basketball. You just knew that this was a guy who was not only special but had a chance to be one of the greatest players of all time going to one of the greatest franchises of all time the possibilities were endless his his talent um being on a team lear- learning how to be a pro with with championship level guys you just thought wow he could win they could win another five six championships with this team and and he would be one of the greatest players ever to come into the nba and you never got a chance to see it and it just it still to this day I, i'm it makes me angry and sad in ways i can't even describe so that would be the one i think is above all others but certainly gilbert is in that short list after david thank you so much for the time it's great catching up with you i hope that was in some way helpful to you bram thank you very much <laughs>
0: Hey, how's your fantasy football team doing? Mine is pretty good. It's the very question that inspires shame and self-loathing. Not for me. But have no fear if it's you. You don't need to abide your dumpster fire of a team for another day. You can start totally fresh with FanDuel and do it up to 200 bucks in bonus cash when you use our code TALKING. In case you're a troll living under a rock, you've probably heard of FanDuel before. If you've ever wanted to try FanDuel but didn't know how, here's what it's all about. They are the one-week leader in fantasy football. More winners, more payouts than any other site. $75 million a week this football season. And Entry fees start at just $1, buck, so there's a league for everybody. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use our code TALKING to sign up now there's a special offer for new users for every dollar you deposit fanduel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play that's a bonus of up to 200 the offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code talking today so don't get left out don't forget to use the code talking fanduel.com where every day is a new season that's f-a-n-d-u-e-l.com. try it out today my colleague in the Panoply Network, Richard Deitch, does a must-hear podcast about the sports media. He endorsed this show early on, so clearly he's got good taste. And this week, he landed one of his most wanted guests ever, WWE announcer Paul Heyman. As for my most wanted guests, well, we differ here. I want President Clinton or Obama or Giselle Buncheon. Well, for now, you can check out Paul Heyman on the latest edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Search for it on iTunes or visit si.com backslash podcast for more info. Welcome back to Talking Heads. Bram Weinstein, Mark Stern. You ever cried on the air? You ever done that, Mark?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't believe I ever have cried on the air. No.
0: I did once. I did once. Really? Um, I was co- well, I was covering the Redskins when Sean Taylor was murdered. Oh, and, okay. um and, uh, you know, not that I was all that close with the the former safety. In fact, none of the media knew him very well. But being in that building every single day and then when it kind of happened, just to see the, the extraordinary amount of sadness that was just kind of enveloped in the whole area. I just got caught up in the emotion of it. And there were two times during that week that I had to literally get off the air because I was brought to tears talking about it, not only because I felt this emotional connection to this guy, but I just I, I felt like I couldn't talk anymore. It was just it was. Too grief stricken. I couldn't talk about it anymore.
2: Those are special circumstances. You're right. I I'd, I'd forgotten about that. That was a very tough week. That was, I mean, that was an inc- incredibly difficult period of time. And um and you were right smack dab in the middle of it. So where I could be back in studio and doing what I'm doing and move on to the next topic, you're down there. You're down there at the facility. You're t- talking to people who were impacted by that in a massive way. So yeah, it
0: was horrible. So but I've never been brought to tears over like a loss or a win. my team like i've never i've never ever been i've never gotten to that point like there's nothing that's happened on the field that has made me cry like i've never gotten to that point and that's why you've got to watch this there's a guy who joined mike francesa's radio show mike francesa's very famous sports um talk radio host in new york really one of the originals of sports talk radio for wfan in new york and he had a guy on on sunday um, Will from Queens who started talking about the Mets who at the time of this recording are tied in their series of the Dodgers at one game apiece and he literally starts crying about the Mets chances moving forward and how Matt Harvey who's on this weird innings limit thing because he's coming off an injury and how he's so important for him to win this game and show the Mets fans how important he is to the franchise moving forward. He was literally brought to tears and Francisca makes fun of him okay, after he does this but the man is literally brought to tears. Have you ever felt the urge to cry about your team
2: well not not since i became a man you know when i was when i was a boy i cried when my team lost because you're upset you don't understand how to deal with it um no listen if i didn't cry after aaron boone hit that home run Against the Red Sox in the 2000, uh, I guess it was 2003 ALCS. Because you're a
0: Red Sox fan.
2: Yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan. If I didn't cry then, and I was extraordinarily drunk when that happened. Yeah. If I didn't cry drunk and emotional at that point, and I didn't. I, I just sort of hung my shoulders and walked out of where I was watching the game. And I, I did a lot of staring into empty space for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I drank a lot more, but I never. But that's like that's what you call a Thursday. Yeah, it's <laughs> staring it's- into empty space. <laughs> like, What's wrong with Mark? It's just this thing, man. It's Thursday. Just yeah, let him just deal with it. That. But no, I, I don't. I've I've never cried, and I've heard that tape. And the guy's crying, me, he's like, this is the last chance for Matt Harvey to show that he can be a guy. And he starts to cry. And to Frances's credit, who you're right, is one of the originals and just a god. And he goes, what are you, what are you, crying? Will, what are you? Yeah, what's, wrong what are you, you? what's wrong
0: with you? What's wrong with you? Get it together. It's a Sunday. He even said he goes, it's a Sunday. Get it together. <laughs> it's
2: a Sunday. Like as if you can't cry on Sundays That's for just, some reason. It was so Weird. It was not a long call, and he clearly had some stuff. Maybe he's got some stuff in his life going on that we don't know about, Will and Queens, but you gotta keep it together, man. You can't cry about that kind of crap.
0: I did have this kind of overwhelming feeling of the team is extraordinarily important to me in my life for a period of time because I remember, and this this is the I can't believe I'm gonna admit this, but I had a girlfriend in college. I once told her that I will never love her as much as I love the Washington Redskins. <laughs> actually said that which you know is not true you know like like for some reason i felt compelled to say something like that to somebody which is amazing that i ended up with a normal person for a wife later in life by the way
2: just out of curiosity how soon did your relationship end with that woman
0: no it didn't end that quickly you know actually really she was was okay with that no, nah, she wasn't okay with it. I mean the break, the breakup was the breakup was I don't even I can't describe it. It's so embarrassing I can't describe it. How I broke up with her is the most embarrassing thing in my life that I regret. Like every there's not a day that goes by that I don't regret that I did that as a breakup. It was the worst breakup ever. So I will I'll reveal that another time, but okay. I did say that to her once. And wow. this was also in college when I was full-on Sarkeesian. I was drinking yeah, a lot, yeah. all the time.
2: And, and in college, those teams take on a much larger sort of <laughs> yes. like, it's, it's, you know, when you're between, I don't know, 15 and 25, you're, I mean, th- that's the height where you're just into that stuff, and it means more to you than you think it really does. Yeah. And, and it's when you, when you get past that phase of your life, you're like, it's, I love it, I root for my teams as, as much as anybody, but when they lose, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know. Well,
0: so if, if my ex-girlfriend happens upon this podcast, I apologize for all of my actions in college, including our breakup, which maybe I'll reveal, maybe I won't at some point in time. I it's I was a horrible person back then. Anyway, <laughs> um, fortunately, like I said, I did end up with a normal person for a wife because I could have easily ended up with 43-year-old Karen Dooley of Indiana, who um, Mark sent this story to me. Um, she fought back a 30-year-old intruder who, who busted into her house and was... According to police, was was uh, high on some kind of substance. And Shocker! It, it was some kind of home invasion. She subdued him by punching him a number of times, and then got out a Japanese sword, which she knows how to use because when she was a teenager, she learned middle age combat skills from the Society of Creative Anachronism.
2: Of course, yeah. Isn't that where you learned your medieval combat skills?
0: I. What is that like? <laughs> like what are the, <laughs> the skill sets that go into Learning that, and what desire do you have to fight like somebody from
2: 1328? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I've never been to the Renaissance Festival. I'm not sure exactly what goes on at places like this. Uh, I know a lot of people get into like costumes and like get in and like the people that love sort of like dungeons and dragons type things they really they don't just stop at like no it's really neat they want to immerse their entire lives into it so yeah there's this
0: thing called magic the gathering i've heard about that too where these people actually like literally think they are these characters from these medieval games
2: yeah and you go to like comic con and i've never been And I like a lot of these these type of shows where people go, but I'm like, man, I don't I don't think I could go to that kind of scene because I don't want to dress up like a gladiator or a wizard. Yeah, but I mean, they probably look at
0: you. Yeah, but they look at you and they go, "Nice shilling jersey, idiot!" You know, like who do you think you are? You know, an all-star pitcher? You're a moron too.
2: No, that's I okay. (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. And you know what?
0: This granted, they're uh, dressed like a (laughs) stormtrooper.
2: But still. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, you agree with me that the people that go to those Comic-Con things, they're like on a whole different level.
0: Yes, it's like I, a... I, I I don't separate them from the sports fans that much. I actually think the mo- the most like the guy who cries on Francesa's show is no more like no less strange than the guy who shows up and is like some character from Star Wars that I don't remember. Right? You okay. Know, like yeah. So I I just don't see the difference that much. No, like, it's the you...
2: grown. It's like the grown man going to the baseball game in a full uniform and cleats yes. on.
0: Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cleats. Yeah. And the mitt that he had, like, you know, broken in on purpose for that particular game, and he's wearing a hat, his lucky hat, you know, It's oh, yeah. disgusting because the rim is, like, greased. You know, like, like I just can't, I can't separate those two people that much. I think they're both insanely strange about whatever it is that they're insanely strange about.
2: The only thing I will say about this particular incident at this woman's house, okay, I'm going to give her credit because she took care of the intruder. But he was high and, you know, wasted and just wandering in another house. She just kicked the crap out of a dude who could barely stand up, as far as I can tell. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. But still, I mean, you're not, like, I I would like to know about her training. Like, that's what I want to talk to her about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because she utilized it, you know, in a real life scenario, you know, like I think even no matter what training I had, I'm not sure I'm going to be ready for the high 30 year old who broke into my house. I'm not totally sure, I, you know, who's on bath salts or whatever happened, you know, like I'm not sure I'm going to be ready for that guy. <laughs> but she was completely ready and subdued him. I would like to go back and like hear the minutes of her meetings, you know, that she had from this society to learn this. It's like. Leeches, who has the most tolerance? Karen Dooley. Perry, thrust, perry, thrust. Well yeah. done, well done. Issue <laughs> Issue two Iron Maiden Assembly. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I could only think, though, that when she heard the door open or the glass break or something, she was like, My entire life has been for this one moment.
0: For this one moment. For this, for moment. this
2: yeah. one moment, and I am ready. And she sleeps with a samurai sword of, like around her bed. So she was ready. This was. All that training, this was for this moment. So you Almost know. like
0: she wanted it to happen.
2: Uh, you know, we'll, If we find out later that this was staged, only she, she could feel like she had some sort of life fulfillment, I'll be grossly disappointed. Issue three, public stonings. When, <laughs> why, how? Yes. Which is how to tell one from another. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, you know, the medieval ages, there's a reason why they call them the dark ages, because it was a really bad time, and people died from, like, scratches. So How to throw even... a cast iron net yeah exactly we, we don't need to go back and do that again. no
0: no but yeah listen good for her you know actually like i think it validates her existence that that actually happened it does and if she, and if it was too bad for that guy boy did he pick the wrong house to go in
2: high well yeah and you don't want to be in the lockdown tank so what happened to you yeah, this chick with a sword <laughs> kicked my ass. It's, yeah. You still high? She put
0: on some weird metal mask and started <laughs> chanting things in That's... some old English language I didn't habit you, sir. Haven't you. <laughs> and he's going to be like, they're going to be like, oh, you're just high. You don't know what you're talking about. They <laughs> yeah. think you like made it up. Uh,
2: come on. Be, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. You don't understand. She was real. <laughs> it was real, man. <laughs> you're man. like, hey, man, you're just high. That didn't happen. You just got beat up by a girl. No, I'm serious, man. She was a medieval warrior. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Joan of Arc. She,
2: she got me. You got to stay out of there, man. Stay out of there. Don't go in there. <laughs> no. Whatever you do, she's crazy, man. She's straight out of 1466. She's crazy. <laughs>
0: That's my girl. That is. All right, so I'll see you
2: this weekend, right, buddy? Yes, I can't wait. Yeah, Laurel, man. I know. Yeah, Laurel. For the folks that don't know where Laurel Racetrack. That's really all the information we need to give out, right?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, well, uh, when we get there, I'll tweet out whatever location we're in when we're, when we're doing it. So if you want to find us, find us. That's great. And use that Twitter handle to send us messages, too. And if they're uh, interesting, we'll read them on the podcast.
2: Yes, and can I just say a quick thanks to intern Nina? Yes. Uh, who is doing such a great job for us. Even though I, I've never met her. Uh, thank you Nina for doing such a great job. Yeah,
0: and she actually supplied the Crying Mets fan story this week. So we appreciate the uh, the uh, the help with the show. There you go. All right. Uh, we'll see you at Laurel Racetrack next week for episode number six for this has been episode five, Talking Heads. Brian Weinstein, Mark Stern, Talkie